0: Namaste, everyone. Welcome back to the sessions on the Yoga Sutra of Maharishi Patanjali. Let us begin with an invocation.
1: Yogena Madam Shari Dasya Chaveydia Kena Yo Pravaram Muni Patanjalim Brajalina me. Om Shri Gurubyo
0: Namaha Hariyom.
1: Before we move into today's uh, session, let us have uh, a small uh, meditation, a short while, which will help us to be better prepared to discuss and assimilate many things. Please sit in a comfortable position
0: and you can close your eyes.
1: And as I mentioned, different parts of the body, consciously relax them. Relax your toes. Relax your ankles. Relax your heels. Relax your entire foot. calf muscles, thighs,
0: abdomen region,
1: the chest, shoulders, arms, relax your fingers, relax your neck, relax your entire face, Observe your breath moving in and out of the body effortlessly. And also pay attention to the content of your mind. The moment you close your eyes, you are cut off from the visual input. But there's so much going on within your mind. Pay attention to that. the chitta or the mind field is like a still lake on which all the vrittis rise and fall sarga or srishti and laya take place so when you observe the content of your own
0: mind thoughts arise and fall You can gently open your eyes.
1: You would see that the content of the mind, many often, most often, is very rapid, many thoughts come and go. And one thought is not necessarily connected to the other. Or one thought is not same as the other. It could be a chain of thoughts. In the the Yoga Sutra it's mentioned that when one thought arises and the next thought that arises is the same and then this goes on for some time, it means that we have achieved Grita, Because that is the only thing that occupies our mind. But our practical experience is that it's not just one thoughts a thought, it is numerous thoughts that occupy the mind field and one seemingly disconnected to the other. And bringing this to some kind of a focus is the goal of yoga and also removal of these vrittis is the state of samadhi or it's the ultimate goal of yoga. In the previous session, we had seen a few sutras, which we will look at them again. We will also chant some of the sutras and then continue from there. I'll share my screen. So in the previous session, we had looked at the Shaddarshana, Sankhya Yoga, Nyaya Vaisheshika, Vedanta and mimamsa and paid attention to a little bit of what each of these Darshana Shastras say in many of our previous sessions we looked at some of these darshanasastras in more detail but there is also a research paper that i can share and we also provided access to the google classroom so the first sutra is athayoganushasanam Shasanam, Athayoganu shasanam. It sets the attitude and approach to learn this particular text on yoga. After this diversity of explorations, we come to an understanding that this is probably the path that I can take. I need to understand more in order to understand myself. That is when we become more prepared to take this particular text. And that is why it is presented as a continuum. It says, now let us look at the instructions on yoga because it's, uh, it's a sort of a realization
0: that this is what we want to do at this moment. Yoga Chitta Vrittini Yoga
1: Chitta Vrittini we had looked at what yoga is, the classical definition of yoga in terms of the nirodha or cessation of the various modifications of the mind. The various vrittis rise and fall in the chitta and when they settle down, that is the state of samadhi or that is the state of yoga. And because of rajas and tamas, there is a lot of disturbance that is caused. And when these disturbances come to a close, when these disturbances settle down, there is a pure sattvic nature of the mind, or there is a pure sattvic
0: nature of the chitta. That is called the state of yoga. Tada drashtuswarupe
1: vasthanam. Tada drashtuswarupe vas so when in the state of yoga the drashta is in his own true nature which is very similar to the state of kaivalya and in the previous session we looked at several analogies because there was a question on what is the true nature is that the true nature of that limited self or the unlimited one it's the true nature, which is the Atman. And that is the witness of all that is happening in the Chitta. And when those things settle down and when it is all cleared up, then the Atma happens or we reside in that fundamental nature. So we took the analogy of a blue cloth or a red flower, which is placed close to, close to a crystal. The crystal is pure and transparent. But when such a colored object is placed near it, for an onlooker, it looks as if the crystal is colored. The moment you remove that particular object, then the crystal comes back to its own pure nature. So that is the analogy that we use to understand
0: swarupe vasthanam. So similar to what question we
1: had, the commentary by Vijnana Bhikshu also has these questions. What are the possibilities that might transfer once all the vrittis have been removed? What is that swarupa state? Does the purusha or the atman remain as pure consciousness that is conscious only of itself? Or does it remain unconscious like a log of wood becoming conscious only when it is agitated by the mind? Or does it cease to exist completely once the, uh, the, for example, suppose the wick is gone, the lamp is also gone with it. Does it happen like that? So he says that once it is freed from the association of the states of mind, that is the various vrittis, the Atman abides in his own nature, which is the highest state of pure consciousness, which is called Asamprajna, Samadhi. Because they and that state there is no knowing as such, there is no knowledge as such. Because the knowing itself needs some aspect of the mind, right? Some connection with the mind is needed in order for that knowing to happen. So even that knowing aspect is removed, and that is the state of the Samadhi. That is what he says. So when it is the Samadhi, there is no pragna or there is no consciousness, or in the sense there is no awareness. In that sense, there is no awareness of the eye. Say, for example, I close my um, you know eyes and sit here. I am aware that I am closing my eyes. I am aware of the contents of the mind. I am aware that so many things are going on. And in the state of samprajnata samadhi, I might be in samadhi, but still that awareness of that eye is there. But even when that is removed, even that particular, even that seed is removed, then it is called, it is asamprajnata samadhi which is a pure state of consciousness so when all the vrittis vanish when everything settles down it is the state of asamtrakyaata samadhi that is what vignana talks about in the commentary so we do not become dead like a log of wood nor does we nor do we cease to exist exist but just that it becomes pure consciousness or the pure atman shines forth in that particular state of Swaruta. it is the yogi's own state in pure state so as i told you many examples from vedanta are often used in these commentaries a crystal is pure and transparent when a red flower or blue cloth is kept the crystal color is reflected the color uh, yeah the color is reflected on the crystal so when it is removed it comes back to its original nature so vrittis do the same thing to the crystal called atman they cover it and color it when they are removed the atman returns to his original to its original nature you can say or the yogi returns to his or her original nature so in the commentaries whether it is vyasa bhashya and some other commentaries there is also a question there is also a question or there is also a thought process that is you know added here when the atman is pure then why is it attributed by things like the vrittis? Why are they superimposed? Actually, the answer is that nothing has actually happened to the Atman. It is always in a pure state. Just that what happens is that when it is reflected in the buddhi and there are some you know, impurities created on that, it looks as if it has been colored. Otherwise, it is always there in its purest state. That is what we need to realize. When we say Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat it is already in a complete state. When we attribute that incompleteness to it, that is when we do a lot of things, trying to attain more and more fulfillment. So practically, the Atman is devoid of all these colors devoid of all these qualities, devoid of the vrittis. It is always in its purest state. But because of avidya,
0: we experience these vrittis and we actually get immersed in these vrittis. So no- nothing
1: really happens to the Atman. The moment these vrittis, kleshas, everything is
0: removed, then the Atman shines forth. And that is the you know, path of yoga that we The next sutra, Vritti
1: Sarupya Mita You can practice the chanting on your own. Vritti sarupya mitaratra. Once again, Vritti Sarupyamita Ratra. So Sarupyam vritti we know. Sarupyam is identification, getting identified with something or of the same form, Sarupya. So there are different kinds of mukti, right? You might have heard of different kinds of mukti, of which this Sarupyam is also there, where we attain the form of the one who we keep meditating upon, right? So in this particular context, What we keep focusing on, it is actually the Vrittis. So, we become identified with the Vrittis at all other times. When we are not the witness, we become identified with the Vrittis. How does this happen? To practically understand this. When uh, when the situations are unpleasant, we immediately become angry. That is, uh, it's a fit of rage, right? We react to something with anger. When we don't like it,
0: when our expectations are not fulfilled. At that moment, we are not aware that we are angry.
1: But if somebody were to tell you that this is how you look when you're angry, you would have seen in the movies, they would say, you look beautiful even when you're angry. But in that moment of awareness, the moment we realize or when we process this particular comment, we become aware of our, say, face or approach or attitude or whatever it is. And at that moment, things actually change. It's very difficult to be angry with the same momentum when we become aware of it. When we become a witness, many things change. But if we are not a witness, when we are not in that witness state or when we are not in the state of yoga, we are of the nature of vrittis, we are identified with it, we are immersed in the vrittis.
0: At all other times, the drashta is absorbed in the vrittis, we are continuously
1: identified with it. We are basically the vrittis. That is how we define ourselves. I am an angry person. I I like this particular food, I am a learned person, this is my degree, this is what I am qualified for and all that. Throughout the day, we are practically identified with the prittis in the moment of dhyana or whatever it is, when we take that effort, that is when we become a witness and then we look at these in a very objective manner. But otherwise, we are immersed in the prittis. So, what the Vyasa Bhashya says, it compares the mind to a magnet that attracts. By presenting various objects of the Vrittis, the Purusha is actually in a very unagitated state. It is in a very pure state. The Drashta is in a pure state, not moved, not agitated. But when the various objects of the Vrittis are presented by the mind, the Purusha becomes conscious of these Vrittis. And the vrittis get reflected on the purusha and one thinks that one is in these states of the mind. How how is this? Looks, sounds very complicated, thought process.
0: Suppose you are looking at the mirror and the mirror is sullied, right?
1: And you think that your face is actually dirty or sullied by looking at the mirror, the dirt that is there of the mirror. So the, similarly, the purusha is projected onto the buddhi or reflected in the buddhi. The mind comes and dirties the buddhi or whatever the kleshas. It hides everything. It hides the cognitive processes. And when the chitta or uh, you know or whatever it is, you know, we look at ourselves, we think that we are that solid person or we are the pritis. That is practically avidya. That superimposition is avitya. This is what the Vyasa Bhashya talks about when talking about vritti-sārupyam itaratra. We are immersed in the vrittis because we identify with the vrittis. The mind you know, creates or gets uh, what you can say presents the various objects of the vrittis to the purusha. There is some agitation that is caused because of that. And the reflections and the whatever, you know, we personally assume that this is what the purusha is all about. And we get identified with it. Only when through the process of sadhana, kriya yoga or ashtanga yoga, dhyana, dharanas, whatever it is, these, this process gets cleared, the avidya gets cleared. And then we have the knowledge of the purusha, purusha khyati that is mentioned in the parthar sutras. So there is a beautiful story that is narrated from the Chandogya Upanishad. This, there, is the, there are the Asuras and the Devas. The, in the Indra is the lord of the Devas. Virochana, who is the son of Prahalada and the father of Mahabali, is the lord of the uh, Asuras. And uh, they all undergo uh, you know, some training with respect to the Upanishads and then they understand that by conquering the Atman, one can conquer everything in this universe. That is what they read about and hear about and they are getting excited about this. Wow, if I conquer the Atman, I can conquer the entire universe and then they straight away go to Prajapati, both of them, Virochana and Indra and they ask Prajapati. It is said that if you conquer the Atman, you can conquer the entire universe. Is this true? So, Prajapati feels that he cannot impart this knowledge immediately. So, he says, you meditate and be in sadhana with me for 32 years. I will eventually reveal these uh, things to you. So, I will reveal these things to you. That is what uh, he says. So they are in sadhana for about 32 years. Then he gives uh, you know, wonderful sermons on how the Atman is the Brahman. It is the vast, expansive thing. It is not affected by anything and all that. At the end of 32 years, he wants to put them to test. So he says that whatever shines forth in the pupil of the eye, that is the Atman. So you go and take a look at the water that is kept in the pan. So Indra and uh, Virochana both rush to see and peep into the pan and they are very happy. Uh, They come back and tell, we saw everything about the self or the Atman. We saw the nails and tooth and everything detailed we saw. And uh, Prajapati is amused by this. He says, okay, you adorn yourself. Now go and see the pan, the water in the pan. They both see the reflection and they come back and say, the self is now adorned by all the jewels and everything that is that you have given us. He says, Oh, oh this is what you have understood. Okay, very good. Excellent. All of both of you can go back to your lokas. So Virochana happily goes and then he says that if you conquer the body, it is you can conquer this entire universe. That is what I understood from this. Uh, from the 32 years of Sadhana, because he was identified with the body. Because he, he saw that his reflection was there, when it, that is the Atman, when it is adorned, that is the Atman. So, the, this is, the, this is the, the body is what he was able to perceive in the pan of water. Indra too went with this understanding, but somewhere he felt that this is not the right understanding. Let me go back to Prajapati. He said, something is amiss here i don't think that what what i realized at the first step is true i don't think because if the body perishes then uh, they, then the atman will also perish but you told me that the atman is imperishable so it doesn't tally uh, so please tell me please clarify this particular thing and then uh, brajapati says yes 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 don't worry the good for good that you came back to me Spend another 32 years in sadhana then you will understand it so imagine you know we uh, we all look at uh, say for example we want to realize the atman by spending a weekend in a in an ashram or uh, or three uh, long weekend in a forest or uh, an hour of meditation at home but if you look at this particular sadhana after 32 years uh, it takes a it is it is taken quite some time for indra to realize that the body is not the atman so it, you can understand that it takes some time. Things take time to flower. So then 32 years of Sadhana goes on. And then Prajapati says that uh, whatever comes forth in the dreams, right? Uh, that is the Atman. Whatever shines in the dreams, that is the Atman. And then uh, Indra goes back and then reflects on this. And then he say, he comes back and says, see, I'm not satisfied with your answer again. Because uh, whatever comes forth in the dreams, whenever the dream is over, how can the Atman just end there? You said it's imperishable and all that. It is beyond the dreams and all that. So this doesn't tally. Tell me again. So again, he says, okay, spend 32, another years, 32 years in sadhana. Then he says, the self that is fully pleased and fulfilled in deep state of sleep, that is the Atman
0: and indra
1: takes this particular uh, you
0: know
1: insight and then he meditates upon that then he understands no no this also does not tally with what you say you said the atman is imperishable it is the witness to everything but then how can it uh, be uh, you know pleased and fulfilled in the deep state of sleep because once the sleep breaks then what happens to the atman then prajapati is very happy that Indra is actually tending to the true meaning of the Atman. And then he says, You do your further sadhana, you will get Atma Dashana. And Indra does further sadhana and gets Atma Dashana, then he spreads it to the devas. So you would see that the superimpositions of the body, the mind, and other things, we assume them to be ourselves. The chitta assumes that these are the vrittis who we are. UBR. But then what happens once the vrittis are cleared through the process of meditation, through jnana or whatever it is, then we realize who we really are. Then that is the process, that is the path of yoga. So vitaratra. at all other times we are identified with the vrittis. So whatever is presented here is also an English translation of what is mentioned in the Vyasa Bhashya. So Vyasa Maharishi has written, uh, you know, d- uh, written a detailed commentary taking up each sutra, because when we talk about a sutra, a sutra is a very precise uh, sentence. It is full. It is meaningful. It is without ambiguity. It is. It, it captures the essence of the thought process. But what happens is that only through the process of a guru-sishya parampara, one can decode what is mentioned in the sutra because it's a very precise statement. Suppose you did not have knowledge of chemistry and I told you H2O, you wouldn't know that I'm referring to water because it's a very precise way or a chemical way of referring to water. Only with the knowledge of chemistry will you be able to decode that H2O is water. And some amount of knowledge, commentary and, you know, examples and analogies and the process and scientific reasoning will be required in order for you to decode that H2O. So, similarly, the sutra needs a lot of explanation and also a transmission through the Guru Sishya Parampara in order to be able to decode the verses. That is why in some sadhana or some meditation on a daily basis or a weekly basis or whatever possible on each of the sutras will bring out our own understanding of the sutras. The translations are there, uh, the explanations are there, but still, what do we understand by a vritti? What arises in our chitta and what falls? What are those moments when those vrittis are not there? These become important reflections and our own personal notes about this path of yoga, and this becomes the first person problem. Just as Patanjali Maharishi has observed the content of his own mind and recorded it as a first person account, our own sadhana in this path will bring out unique insights. Which, when you look at the text, will be able to correlate a lot of things. It so happened that uh, you know we didn't get a ch- uh, the, you didn't get a chance yet. Uh, to have a session by Adi Ji as well, but uh, he'll join us on some of these sessions. So when, um, you know, Adi my husband and I started Anadi Foundation in 2015, he did his MS uh, in the US. And uh, when he had just completed his coursework after his MS, he was between the coursework and his job. And then it so happened that uh, he experienced a very deep, state of relaxation. He had about three days in his hand and because nobody was there around, at that time what happened was the past that he knew had ended and the future was yet to emerge kind of. So at that moment, he experienced a deep sense of relaxation. But then what happened was because of no background in the yoga shastras or whatever, it's a normal household. You probably chant the Vishnu Sarasa Nama, whatever it is on a daily basis, but not exposure to deeper texts. So he did not have a framework to understand his experiences. When he looked at the modern psychology books, it spoke of Freudian psychology and the Skinner's methodologies and all that, that. Those couldn't explain the state of mind that he was going through. But then when he looked at the Yoga Sutra, Bhagavad Gita, a lot of correlations arose and then he was able to map certain experiences to what is mentioned in these shastras, and that was also the point of exploration for both of us in these domains. And we and the the uh, what you can say the sadhana has also been in terms of not just a theoretical understanding, but going through these and observing them from within, so that one can speak from one's own understanding of these only then one will be able to connect to what is there in the current society otherwise one can always bring out something from the ancient texts but how will it be relevant to the modern context that connection somebody has to do that that can come about one when one does sadhana and one lives in this current reality as well so that is why each of your sadhana and i'm sure all of you have already done quite a bit of sadhana and this this only is to enhance it, further it, so that more and more collective understanding can be developed. So, vritti sarupya mitaratra. If we are not the drashta, we are immersed in the drittis. That is what Narayashi Patanjali says. So, there is this question, how did this avidya come about? When we are the Atman, how did this avidya come about? So it is said that almost all the philosophical systems look at avidya as permanently connected to the atman. We are here, that itself means it is avidya. We haven't broken the cycle of birth and death yet. right? So this is eternally connected to the atman because of some reason it has emerged. And in fact, the Buddha says that suppose somebody is shot by an arrow, it is useless at that time to understand the nature of the arrow, point of origin, how did it hit me and all that. One should mainly look at how to remove that particular arrow. So instead of pondering over how did this avidya come about, let us focus on removing the avidya or the kleshas in general and that is the role of yoga. Let us adopt those yogic practices to remove that. Because many of the philosophical systems have found fundamentally assumed that there is Avidya and it's deeply connected to the Arpan because that is how in uh, you know, in a way,
0: it results in the birth and not breaking of the cycle of birth and death. Priti sarupya mitaratra. Lake
1: appearing to have trees due to reflection of the trees on the bank. So the lake, when for an onlooker, it looks as if the lake, there are trees in the lake. It is actually the reflection of the trees on the back. You, the moon's shape seems to be altering due to the ripples of water. It is actually the water that is fluctuating, not the moon. Right? The moon's reflection falls on the water. The water shakes. It appears as if the moon is shaking. But actually, the moon is up there. Only the reflection is here, and that too, the water is impacting the reflection. So, similarly, Atman is quite
0: detached, it is imperishable, it is expansive, it is not affected by any of this. So, this mind actually continuously perceives and interprets the various
1: forms that are there, which are the object of the senses. And hence, it keeps on changing, right? and depending on whether you know whether it is a positive state or a negative state we experience bliss or misery and hence the nature of the mind is itself continuously changing and that when it is you know what you can say when it is impacting uh, the purusha it appears as if the purusha uh,
0: himself or herself is of the, the nature of the prithis, right this is something to
1: sort of deeply ponder over, uh, you know, because words are still limited. But when you use analogies like the mirror, the lake, the moon and the water, one sort of gets a hang of it, though it is not the actual thing, but is still a pointer towards that. The next sutra goes like this. Vrittaya panchataya klishta klishtaha Vrithayaf panchatayak kliṣṭhā kliṣṭhāha Vrithayaf panchatayak kliṣṭhā kliṣṭhāha So the way the Yoga Sutra or even for that matter texts like Tarka Sangraha or the Prakarana Grintha like Tattva Bodha are written is to... First, present the various terminologies and then zoom in on each terminology and clarify and present more and more information. So it all started by saying the removal of the vrittis or cessation of the vrittis is yoga. But now the question is, what are the vrittis? So the answer to this, vrittis are fivefold in number or fivefold and they are either painful or not painful. The vrittis are fivefold, painful and not painful. Why is it said painful and not painful? Because the kind of experience that we have because of uh, due to the vrittis. The we will we will come to what are the vrittis. Maybe we'll first look at what
0: are the vrittis and then come to this particular thing. Without that, this looks a bit vague. so the vrittis are pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidra smriti
1: pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidra smritayah pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidra smritayah pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidra Pramana is a valid source of knowledge or true cognition. Viparyaya is erroneous cognition or unreal cognition. Vikalpa is imagination. Nidra is sleep and Smriti is memory. So these are the five Vrittis. So when we look at the previous Sutra, the Vrittis can be painful or not painful depending on our life experiences. Klishta are those that cause pain and become the field of growth of the karmashaya. Aklishta vrittis are those that oppose the play of the gunas, that is rajas and tamas and predominantly sattvic in nature. Klishta are caused by the kleshas. Suppose our mind is agitated. Suppose we are, we like something, we dislike something. Kleshas, raga, dvesha, and all that. Okay, we we'll look at them later. When there is dvesha towards something, when I don't like something, what gets imprinted in my memory is very different, right? This this happens typically in uh, you know crime scenes. People actually because of their disturbed state are not able to fully grasp what is happening in that particular scene. And when they are called as a witness, they fumble. They say that I I observed that that person was wearing a red shirt. But when they show the CCTV footage, they are actually wearing a blue shirt. Then they say, yeah, yeah, because of stress, I forgot that I I am not able to remember clearly. So what happens is that because of the Rajas and Tamas or because of the Kleshas, Whatever we record in our memory is corrupted. And that can also become painful memories eventually. And those become the, what you can say, field on which many of the impressions occur and then they keep growing. And that could also lead to further lifetimes. Those unfulfilled experiences, those rajasic and tamasic experiences get imprinted continuously because of the, they are actually the painful vrittis and then they are carried forward from one lifetime to another but there are these uklishta vrittis which are very satric in nature and even if they occur intermittently between the klishta vrittis they are still beneficial for example you are meditating numerous thoughts are coming but suppose there is there are gaps in between those thoughts even if the gaps occur occasionally, they are still beneficial because they help you to understand what is that state that you want to be in. You don't want those thoughts. You actually want those gaps. That helps you to aspire for those gaps. So similarly, the aklishta vrittis, that sattvic vrittis can occur intermittently. They will still be beneficial even if they occur in between the klishta vrittis because eventually they help you help to remove the klishta and the Aklishtavritis completely occupy the chitta. Then the other thing can also happen. The vrittis, the vrittis can also occur in a pure mind because of some external input. The sattvic mind could be there, but because of some external agitation, there could be some
0: rajas or tamas that is introduced there. So that is what it is said in the Yasa bhashya
1: So, that it actually acts as the field of growth of the karmashaya. Karmashaya is the collection of all the karmic impressions. It is the whatever impressions that are formed because of our actions. The karma could be generated by through the body, through the speech. Or through the mind, or whatever it is, it all creates impressions, and that whole body is that karma shaya. And those from the karma shaya, various manifestations occur during the various lifetimes, right? And this the aklishta-vrittis, sorry, the Klishta is become the field of growth for such uh, you know karma or karma shaya, right? But when they are predominantly sattvic, then what happens slowly, 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 things dissolve. And there is a lot of freedom that one experiences. There is a pure mind that one experiences. So what happens in this process? The vrittis leave impressions. And because of those impressions, we act out something. Because of that acting out, more vrittis are created and more impressions are formed. And this particular wheel of samsara keeps turning. Tatha jati yakaha samskara vrittibhireva kriyante. Samskarayisha vrittaya iti. What happens? This samskara impacts the vrittis. Vrittis create more impressions. Impressions create more vrittis. We do more actions. Again, more impressions are created. Right? Say, for example, as, uh, you know, I often say this, I've been trained a computer scientist. And because of being trained a computer scientist, suppose, uh, you know, I want to I want to now say that, no, I, I want to remove this identity of a computer scientist. I want to become somebody else. But what happens? There are this, you know, this latent impressions of a computer scientist still lingering in me. So the moment I see somebody struggling with their computer, I, I, I try to tie my hands. No, I am now, I'm not a computer scientist. I am, I want to be a meditator. I want to be a yogi. I'm not going to help them. But somehow what happens, I just, my hands automatically go. The compulsive action is there. I go and fix the computer for them because I'm trained to do that. Good, it doesn't stop there. That person who, to whom I fix the computer, they say, I have a wonderful project for you. Uh, I was precisely looking for you. Why don't you get involved in this project where we can fix a hundred computers? So I'm all excited about it. And this particular vritti has generated more, uh, this particular samskara has generated more vrittis for me. Now I blissfully forgot the meditation and I'm now working on the project of fixing those computers. So don't think that it is a hypothetical example. This is something that I go through on a daily basis. And everybody goes through this. No matter how much we try, the seed samskaras or whatever it is impressions that are created play out at different points in time and this is what happens uh, you know this is this is the power of the yogic process as well to remove these samskaras you would see that as you engage with the yogic process more and more it could be through pranayama it could be through say you know, dharana, dhyana you would say that the, you would see that these granthas or these knots get unentangled. Many people experience this. Somebody was sharing that in their dhyana, they experience the shadripus, kama, krodha, lobha, moha slowly dissolve. Whatever impressions that are created, whatever samskaras that are created because of our actions slowly start dissolving when one engages in this process of whatever the the different aspects of yoga. Pranayama is a powerful tool that we. Because it purifies the nadis and it also impacts the thought process, the way we perceive things and all that. Even the instruments of perception become very refined so that one does not perceive in the wrong manner. When one perceives in the right manner, the right impressions are created, the sattvic impressions are created. Then the klistavritti happens. Sorry, uh, yeah, the klishtavritis happen. The sattvic impressions are created. Otherwise, what happens? The negative impressions are the ones that are created. Say, for example, a child is conditioned through negative examples. Sees violence, uh, you know, on TV. There is this famous experiment by Albert Bandura. It is uh, the it's an experiment on social and observation learning. It's, it's called the Bobo doll experiment. So, in this particular experiment, children are given a Bobo doll. Bobo doll is a bo- doll that when you punch it, it will sort of bounce back. And I'm, I'm sure, like all of you, have seen that doll. So he, what he does is that he plays uh, the children are kept in the room with the bobo doll. And on the screen, they see some RB men fighting and punching and all that. And what happens is that uh, the children eventually start punching that particular doll. So it's it's, a, it's an example of social and observational learning, saying that children actually learn from observing the what is happening in the environment. And that is why the role of a teacher or a guru becomes very important, because children, Sishya, then everybody is learning through your own life. And observing you. And hence, the role of the teacher to up, uh, exhibit appropriate behavior becomes important. So, when the child is groomed or is developing the samskaras of violence, then what happens? These get imprinted in the mind. At that time, they, these are ex- expressed only as simple active acts, you know, maybe just hitting an object or breaking an object or whatever, it's still, uh, you know, it's still uh, uh, what you can say, not a major thing. But what happens is that these actions further reinforce those vritti, I mean, reinforce those samskaras and more vrittis are generated out of this. If more and more is fed into that, these actually the samskaras deepen and one eventually turns to be a violent person And there is also no way of getting out of this loop because constantly the society is also reinforcing that. So if one is not involved in a process, a yogic process or even any form of a vaidika process as well, say for example, Agni. Agni is a great transformer. When one involves with Agni through a yagna, or Homa or Agni, whatever it is, one would experience deep changes in this in the body and mind and everything because slowly, slowly, slowly that karma shaya gets dissolved. The role of the guru also becomes very important here. In one stroke, you would have read in many accounts of Guru Sishya Parampara, in one stroke, the entire karmic baggage or load is reduced or offloaded for that matter. All that is left is the praratha karma, which one inevitably goes through eventually. So the vrittis can become painful or not painful because with, with the presence of the kleshas or without the presence of the kleshas. When the kleshas are there, the vrittis become painful. Throughout the Yoga Sutra, you will find how the cycle of uh, what you can say, this karma and action and reaction play in our lives. What starts as smriti eventually becomes samskara. Smriti means it's a memory. Memory could be, but in this particular lifetime, right? Today I store your phone number in my mind. After 10, 15 days, I recollect it. That is the memory. But I could actually, this can be deepened as a samskara. Where I tend, I develop the samskara of remembering any number that I come across. Any pattern that I come across, I remember that. And that probably that samskara could be carried on to different lifetimes. Where even after many lifetimes, given the necessary conditions, the samskara can actually love it. That is why it is important that what samskaras or what kind of samskaras one develops. What kind of habit one develops. What kind of information or knowledge one goes through. Otherwise, these all get impressioned in our mind and chitta and then they play out at different points in time. And when we raise children, we can be mindful of that. And when we say this chitta, karma, karma and all that, doesn't mean that life is a paranoic, uh, you know, we need not be paranoid about that. Anyway, the grace of Guru, anyway, the grace of the grace of the divine ensures that we don't get into is too much trouble. When we have faith in the divine, many of these dimensions are actually taken care of. But as an objective
0: understanding process, as a psychological process, these all are what play out. So, the cycle of actions and reactions continue, and the karmashaya keeps building up.
1: This keeps us forgetful of our own nature because we are completely focused or immersed in that, those samskaras and vrittis. All all vrittis produce impressions, but when these are sattvic, they assist in our further growth. The sattvic vrittis eventually help to suppress the raja symptoms, thereby creating a conducive environment for future growth to happen. Eventually, those sattvic vrittis will also fade away. This is called brahma vritti. Where our consciousness is filled with positive vrittis or vrittis of the divine, so that the negative vrittis go away. You would have heard, uh, you would have read stories of bhaktas, tukaram, Bai, and all that, completely immersed in the divine, right? Where all the other vrittis are actually warded off. One is completely focused on the divine. So, samskaras, when we say samskaras, they are not just when you say, when you take a piece of paper and you print something on that, those are actually static prints, right? Nothing happens to them, right? But suppose I were to give you, now there are a lot of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence systems as well. Suppose I give you a story, And depending on what goes on in your mind, how you perceive the story, suppose the content of the story were to change, what is printed in that particular device changes. So it means it's very dynamic. As we interact with it, the story changes. So samskaras are very much like that. They are highly potent. They are like a seed which have the possibility to grow at any different point in time. It could be in this lifetime. It could be in many lifetimes. Right? And who knows the algorithm when it will flower? Nobody knows the algorithm. There is the, there is the entire karma shaya. From that, a small portion is taken and I experience as Prarabdha karma right now. And according to my Prarabdha karma currently, for example, right now I run, say I run Anadi Foundation. The samskaras that are there, which are relevant to running the organization, they come out, they flower, they manifest which either assist me or make it make my life difficult or whatever it is. So, when the appropriate environment is created, that's those samskaras manifest. But they do not die. They still are in the form of a seed. We will see in the further sutras in the Vibhuti Pada and Kaivalya Pada, how these samskaras are latent, but they are highly potent and can flower at any point in time. That is why engaging in the yogic process becomes very, very crucial because the this these the yogic practices actually help to remove these vrittis Satvik vrittis are still vrittis just that they help to accelerate the process so that your mind is not filled with those negative with these vrittis it is all positive it is rapidly helping you to progress on this
0: without stopping right there are some questions. I will answer it
1: towards the end. We will stop by just looking broadly at this sutra. We will go
0: into more detail.
1: Pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidra smritayaha Pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidra smritayaha pratyakshanumana agama pramanani pratyakshanumana pramanani pramana diparyaya vikalpa nidra these are the Panchavritis. in the modern science you also study about different states of consciousness in terms of the waking state and also hallucinations, altered states of consciousness, and all that. And this is somewhat similar, though not, cannot be mapped directly, but will sort of help you to understand. Pramana is a valid source of knowledge or real cognition. Vipariyaya is false perception. Vikalpa is imagination. Nidra is sleep, and Sniti is memory. When you say pramana, what is real cognition? When you map something to what it actually is, when you perceive it the right way, that is called real cognition. For example, I see a tree and I map it to a tree. In my mind, I know I'm perceiving a tree, right? There is a tree here. If I perceive it as a tree, that is real cognition. Suppose I see a tree and I think it is a lamppost. Then it is an erroneous cognition or a wrong perception about something. What it is actually not, I am seeing that. Then it means it is viparyaya. Vikalpa is imagination. I close my eyes and then imagine something may not be in reality. There may not be a corresponding thing in reality. That is called vikalpa. Nidra is of course the state of deep sleep but still there is some cognition that is going on according to the Yoga Sutra. Abhava Pratyaya is going on. Abhava I'll explain to you in the next sessions. We will also be using some frameworks from Nyaya Shastra to sort of clarify on some of these terminologies because when I say Parthiksha, when I say perception, what is this perception? what kinds of perceptions are there when i say inference what kinds of inference how do we make an inference what exactly do we mean by inference all these are clarified in some some aspects through sankhya and nyaya shastra which we will be looking at in the next session uh, it's, it's it's pretty interesting especially if you are uh, if you are interested in linguistics if you are interested in cognition and all that then uh, you will be interested in these so, pra- Pramana is valid knowledge where you are actually perceiving something to, in its truest sense. When you are perceiving something incorrectly, I thought a lamp to be a, a tree, I'm supposed to be a tree. I thought a rope to be a snake, that is Viparyaya. When I imagine something or when I hallucinate on something completely unreal, that is imagination. Memory is that which, uh, you know, when uh, you have certain experiences, and those get imprinted, those experiences get imprinted in your mind without leaving your mind, that is called smriti. So, there are two things. One is experience and one is memory. If it gets stored, then it is memory. If you are just going through it, it is experience or anubhava. Right? That is what Nyaya Shastra talks about. Smriti and anubhava. Smriti is when that anubhava is impressioned; when it is imprinted, that is smriti. When you are just going through it, that is anubhava there are different kinds of anubhava which we will look at in the later sessions so to just bring out uh, you know modern uh, there's some more here this is uh, a modern you know representation as i told you this I, I used to work on cognitive science research and multimedia and computer science So these are some of the samskaras and vasanas playing out uh, here. So this is Kolb's model of learning. So he says learning is a a very old uh, model. There are more learning models. But somehow this sort of uh, I connected with this uh, because I I was working on some research um, a few years ago. So learning is a process whereby knowledge is created through the transformation of experience. So how is this impression formed? so where you have an abstract conceptualization you experiment with it you have a pratyaksha you directly see it and there is a concrete experience there that anubhava is there and then it gets impressioned and then again because of that there is some kind of a conceptualization that arises again you experiment with it then there is an experience then that gets that reflect on that experience means basically you store that experience in memory and you keep recollecting that so this is a cycle that keeps Happen, right? And uh, these cycles, many of the concepts that we look at in terms of karma, karma birth birth, re- rebirth, and all that—all these happen in a cycle. Breaking free of these cycles is what uh, the yogic path is all about. The path of jnana as well, all about. So we'll we'll close with a
0: prayer here, and then we'll discuss a few more aspects. Oh. Loka
1: Samasta, sook in Loka Samasta, sook in Loka Samasta, sook in all Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. Om
0: Shri Guru Pyo Namaha. Hariyum. So there is one question here. Is there no way
1: out of the samskara and karma? Even yogic practices are taken up because of previous samskara. So when we look at all the philosophical systems, be it Vedanta or Ved, Nyaya, whatever it is, none of them say that we are doomed forever. There is always a way out. And each particular system gives different aspects. Say for, for example, Vedanta could talk about jnana. Avirodhita karma na vidya vartayet. It is said in the Atma Buddha. It says that avidya uh, can be removed only through vidya and not through karma. Because the opposite of avidya is vidya and not karma. Right. So that is one path. The other part, the yogic practices, whether it is talks about Ashtanga Yoga and all that, they clearly map that through this process, the kleshas are removed. One gets the right vrittis and eventually the vrittis also sees and one attains the state of yoga. But just that the Bhagavad Gita also promises that wherever we leave this particular sadhana, we always can come back and catch it from there. We don't lose that and hence, these, the samskaras of the yogic practices are also helpful in a certain way because they help us to pick up from where we have left. But we are not doomed forever. There is always a way out. Just that Abhyasa, Vairagya, abhyam Tan, Nirodha. Through Abhyasa and Vairagya, that is when the Vrittis stop. So, it is a very positive approach. There is, no, there is nothing like
0: there is no way out. There is always a way out. Just that some Abhyasa and Vairagya are required. Any other uh, questions? So the role of a guru becomes very important uh, in this uh,
1: context. It is said that the guru guru is the one who maintains, uh, you know, the, the parents are practically, you know, for this particular lifetime. But who stays and maintains record of all these is, if you look at it, it's our Guru. Not everybody actively looks out for a Guru. Because, say, for example, only when you reach the stage of a PhD, that is when you start looking at a one-to-one mentor. Otherwise, if you're doing an undergraduate education, you just go through that education, right? You don't look for a one-to-one teacher. You're okay with whatever time you get. But when one Develops or enhances one's thirst to that level, then the role of a guru becomes important. The guru is capable of what you can say dissolving many of these things through their own, you
0: know, sadhana and their own tapasya. Shweta ji has a question. Uh,
1: uh, ma'am, as you said from your personal experience that there are times when you are kind of caught between this tug of war to go for your sadhana or to be, you know, to do your computer thing, which you are good at. So, ma'am, if it is not a negative thing, why should we refrain ourselves from doing it? You know, if the calling is higher on whatever sides, we will go there. So if we feel like doing something which is positive, which is not negative and not painful either, so, uh, so you know, should not should we not go towards that? You know, do that and then go towards towards our sadhana. Yes, very much. If it's not affecting you, it's not a problem. But practically, what I've seen is that, say, for example, you're traveling on the Himalayan yatra and you're carrying a bag with you the biscuits that you carry, the chocolates that you carry are actually helpful because they help you to maintain that energy level. But after some time when the steep, uh, when you have walked for quite some time and when when it is quite steep, then you see that every little biscuit packet that you have in your bag becomes a burden because you have to cross that path and you have to reach the goal. What was helpful also becomes a burden right? Burden, not so negatively, but still, it will it'll help if you remove them. When you offload those biscuit packets, those uh, whatever, uh, you know, snacks that you have, and you just, uh, you know, put a few things away, then you see that you start accelerating because that load has reduced. So similarly, the samskaras or the vrittis that we have created because of whatever past associations are helpful, no doubt. But when you have to accelerate, when you have to cross that last mile, they start looking like a burden. At that time, for a meditative process, they are practically not useful. That is why you would like to remove them. It, it's purely personal, whether you want to remove them or not. It's a personally, It's a personal thing. They can move us away from the path. Yes, exactly. When you know what is the path, you see that these are impediments to the path. And you would like to not engage with them anymore because you see that they are actually giving you more work. This Vritti-Samskara cycle is continuing. The moment you become aware of this cycle,
0: you will actually want to move away from this cycle. Yogita Ji has a question. So, Namaste. I just want to piggyback to
1: this question. So, sometimes like we have some calling we have chosen our path but we have some duties also and sometimes it becomes hard to you know balance between them like uh, uh, the path you have chosen the duties mm, come in between and you can't stay away from them so how do we balance so Between the duties yeah duties are anyway part of uh, part and parcel of life anyway they have to be carried in order to lead a fulfilled life they are at the end of the day it is our fulfillment that matters when we feel fulfilled we actually don't feel the need to come back again so to lead a fulfilled life we anyway have to perform our duties but on the on, on the same lines there is also a spectrum of the duties. What we call a duty? How do we perceive a duty? What is meant by fulfilling a duty? All these can vary One when one starts accelerating on the path of sadhana. What, what happens is that this we, we may not look at our duty the same way we used to look at before. And we may not consider our responsibility to fulfill each and every expectation of others. We find our own framework Uh, to sort of uh, make, uh, fulfill our duties at the same time, uh, be uh, what you can say, be rooted in our uh, sadhana. So these definitions keep changing and evolving. We may not be doing or engaging the same way that we used to engage before. Not that we will become a different uh, person, just that our perspective will uh, change. And there will be moments when we want to accelerate at that time we accelerate. There will be moments when we don't want to accelerate at that time we are always available to take forward our duties. But being rooted in the sadhana really helps to accelerate. For that, That is why one one takes up a small break, say for example, a three-day mauna or a week of mauna or just to say a 10-day vacation to a spiritual place. But those all help us to accelerate. One can always come back to one's own field of work. Then you see that, then accordingly, the, uh, the environment also uh, becomes more and more conducive to this process. You gain more and more, uh, you know, what you can say, uh, experience with this as well. And when you are consistent, many people start appreciating you. When you show progress, many people start appreciating you. And they also create a supportive mechanism for you to progress on this path. I have one more question uh, regarding that Yoga Sutra, Vritaya. Can you repeat that? I was having some trouble uh, pronoun- in pronunciation. So is it Klishta, Ha? No, Together becomes Klishta, Okay, I think I have to practice more. Yeah. So does Mauna mean no housework? There is a private chat message. One can engage in housework. Uh, I mean, I don't know, depends on your situation at home. If possible, not engaging in that work. But if you have to do work, you can be at least silent. Verbal silence can be maintained and then continue the Mauna. There are different ways to initially start the process so that one is not stuck with a perfect understanding, perfect model of Mauna. Wherever one is able to start, one starts there and then slowly enhances the We'll close uh, here and we'll meet, meet next Saturday.